Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We ask you to bless us as we open the word to study. We ask you to guide and lead and, and help us to understand what it is we're seeing. And give us great understanding in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 42, which is the first book of the first psalm of the second book of Psalms. There's five books of Psalms, if you remember from your little handout. And we're getting ready to start the second book, which is on redemption primarily. Verse 1. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when I shall come and appear before God. My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I have gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of the joy and praise, with a multitude that kept, that kept holy day. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted in me? Hope, that, hope you in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Wherefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill of Mizar? Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of, thy, of your water spouts. All your waves and your billows are gone over me. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto the God unto God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why are you why go I into mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones my enemies reproach me, while they say daily unto me, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope you in the Lord, and I shall yet praise him. Who is the health of my countenance and my God? All right. Starts out, as the heart panteth after the wood water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. So this is a picture of a deer who's wanting to cool off. And I did a little bit of research on what it, how a deer cools off. And basically, a, a deer does two ways of cooling off. It pants, just like a dog pants when it's needing to get cooled off. And it seeks water. Uh, huh? I didn't know Well, you can see this if you ever watch a deer being chased by dogs and, dogs and it finally gets away. You see that heavy breathing while it's searching for water to cool off. Uh, so this is something that's actually supposed to mean something to those who are woodsmen that are used to seeing deer, which I don't see a whole lot of deer. We see more deer up here, but uh, yeah. But apparently deer need water really to cool off efficiently. They, they'll pant and they'll, they'll breathe heavily and everything, and, it, and their ears help them cool down. But, uh, but they apparently, well, they, they, one place I said that all mammals have sweat glands. They just don't. Some don't sweat as well as humans do. So, uh, and for us, they, yeah, these are different because they're mule deer because they got big ears. Mm -hmm. That's part of their cooling system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Much like elephants, elephants use the ears yeah. to cool off, not just to flap back and forth, oh. but to actually cool the blood blood source. Their ears are 
have a lot of blood vessels in them. So. What, deer? No. Elephants? Elephants. Mm, deer aren't bad swimmers either for that. So the deer needs the water to calm down, uh, cool down, and God says we're to seek him in that same manner. And this is important for us. Do we truly seek God in a way that we, basically it's almost a desperate for him. I mean, the deer has to cool off. The deer is desperate for their water. Do we get to the place where we're desperate for God and understand that we need to be desperate for him? I think a lot of times when people are really desperate is when they are in sorrow or they're in trouble or hurt, then they're desperate. But we need to be desperate for yeah, God all, all the time. time. Yeah, all the time. But you're true. Sometimes yeah. God allows all that stuff to hit us so that we will become desperate for him. I mean, because I do know I'm desperate for him, but it's a lot more when something happens or mm -hmm. a death or something like that, you know, because I have a lot of tragedies in my life. And so I always thought it would draw you away from God, and it, and it draws me closer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just my opinion. I mean, I was well, some people do get driven from God over yeah. bad times, but yeah. the idea of it is that if you have a heart it's, toward God, it will usually push you to Him because you need Him. You realize you need Him. But I'm a little different because I'm a little slower of learning. Okay. <laughs> I think we all are. Most most people are fairly slow at learning things, especially spiritual things. But God has that desire. He wants us to be desperate for Him. The idea that we need him for everything. And if we remember back to when we first got saved, we can remember that all of a sudden that feeling of cleansing, of, of just fulfillment. But see, you keep talking about that. To be honest, I don't really remember mine. I don't. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but I, I know I've been saved twice. I mean, I know for because I want to make sure the second time, the first time when I was young, and then later because I was baptized here years and years ago. But I really don't. It's, it's sad because maybe my brain's weird. Well, it, each person is going to be slightly different, but there should be. I mean, if nothing else, there should be something that changed in your life. Oh, you know, drastically for him. My life, yeah. Like how you said you remembered everything, how this and that. I don't remember saying, you know, like the things you said, you know. Well, it's just something that was real yeah. to me. It was very, the, the difference in my life was night and day. So I, I, I know what it was like. Yeah. And, I've, and I've led enough people to the Lord that I know how they've responded as they've been cleansed. They've realized that they were in, in, in a position of death and coming, coming around to life. Uh, but everybody's going to be somewhat different. Yeah, to be honest. This is sad. I don't even remember what year it was. I've been here since 1983, so it hadn't been in the 80s. I know that was in the 80s. Okay. They had a pastor that lived here that was with the kids and never wrote before. Okay. All right. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When I, when shall I come and appear before God? And this is his idea. I'm thirsting for God. Not only, and then he's being even very clear, not only just I'm thirsting for God, but I am thirsting for the living God. He's going to make sure that there's no confusion here. It's not just any God that he's re referring to. It is the living God. And it says, when shall I come and appear before God? And this is kind of an interesting thing. Do we literally want to come before God and, and appear before him. 
I, I love being able to come before God and to pray for, you know, pray and, and seek him. Uh, in David's day, and this is a Psalm of David, uh, they believe that this Psalm was when he was running from Absalom. Does everybody know who Absalom is? His son. Okay, Absalom was David's son and he rebelled against his father and actually took the kingdom for a period of time away from his father. And David ran from him. Rather than fight his son and kill his son, he ran and let God and had uh, put his hand, life in God's hands. And when Absalom was brought into, you know, when they, would, when they did fight Absalom, David would tell his officers and his men, don't kill Absalom. Uh, but his general at the end finally killed Absalom to get rid of the threat because uh, he saw how important it was. And then David grieved over the death of Absalom and took the victory away from them. So, but David is saying, I want, to, I want to thirst. My soul thirsts after God, the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Now remember for the Jews, when they would say, when do I come before him? They pretty much meant that they had to go to the temple. And David's on the run, so he's not able to go to the temple now because he's on the run. He can't go to the temple where the, where the palace is and all of that. And then he says, my tears have been my meat all day and night while they continually say unto me, where is your God? Meat day. What? My meat day, what does that my mean? My meat day and night. What does that mean? Meat, food. Food. Your food. So he says, I am so sorrowful that my sorrow is what I'm feeding on. Oh, I see. You know, it's very poetic language, but he's saying, I'm just so sorrowful that that is what I'm eating day and night. And basically, he's saying, I'm, he's almost describing a you know, clinical depression here. I'm so sad, so that all I'm doing is thinking about how bad things are. And he's, if this is true that it was Absalom, you know, which is what most of the scholars believe, then he is just running for his life. He's being chased by an army. He's got a few handful of men, and he's just going everywhere to, to try to stay alive, and he's in sorrow. And, they, and it says the enemy is continually or daily saying to him, where is your God? And don't we sometimes feel that way? Maybe we even ask ourselves sometimes when we're in the middle of, of great trials, you know, where are you, God? And sometimes people look at us, especially people who don't like us that much, and saying, well, where is your God? How can you be going through such, you know, you're, you have such a terrible thing going on. Where is your God? And this is what David's saying. You know, the people are asking me, where is your God? You trusted God. He promoted you. And now you're, now you're running for your life. Where is your God? And it's a pretty hard time for him. Very hard time for him. Huh? There's a treatment. I'm a Kleenex. You're saying uh, the general killed Absalom? He finally did kill? David's general killed Absalom, even though David told him not to. But you said after that, you said because it needed to be done? Well, it needed to be done. I mean, uh, had to kill Absalom. Absalom was the one that was trying to usurp the throne, so. Okay. I mean, it's. If he'd let Absalom live, then Absalom probably would have rebelled against him again in the future. David wanted to spare his life because it was his son. Of course. Even though, even though his son's trying to kill him. 
And then it goes on, when I remember these things, what things? All the accusations and all the troubles. I pour out my soul in me, for I have gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voices of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. So David's looking back at the past and saying, I remember when I would go with the throng of people up to the temple. One of the things during the, the key feast of the, of, the, of the Jews where they were to come together three times a year, they would sing songs and, and hymns as they climbed the mountain to the temple. Uh, we'll get to them at the end of, of Psalms. They're called the, the Psalms of Ascent. And every year when they would make the ascent up to the temple, they would sing these psalms in praise. And David's going, I remember when I went up with all the multitude and the joy and the praise and the singing that we did and the, basically saying the excitement of going in up to the temple. And he goes, I remember these. And when I went with those that kept the holy day or the solemn feasts uh, that, that were there. So David's looking back and saying, I remember those days. I remember days when it was great to be with God. And this is something that we have to be careful of. Sometimes we get so down that we kind of look back at the past and say, well, I remember when it used to be good to pray to God or study the word or go to church or Bible study or whatever. And it really shows that we've fallen a long way if that's what we're looking at and saying, I remember back when everything was good. And I've been there, done that. I've heard, seen other people do that. You know, I remember, I remember what it used to be like to do these things for God. And this is what David's at. He's at this point saying, I remember. I remember back when things were good. And he's longing for them. Then he goes, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted in me? Hope you in God for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. David's actually talking to himself now. You know, soul, why are you laying down? Why are you prostrate? Why are you, you know, and I love this word disquieted. It literally means that this, this word has the idea of growling and murmuring and roaring at you. His soul is just so irritated. It's like a growl and, and irritation to him. Have we ever been there where it seems like everything about your body and your soul is just complaining to you about everything? Mm -hmm. yeah, almost, almost everybody's been there. You're so miserable that even your soul, nothing seems to be good. And every time, if you, if maybe you've met somebody and you try to tell them that God is good and they go, yeah, right, you know, they literally almost growl at you, you know, they're in their, you know, in their disquiet with God. And this is what David is talking about, you know. My soul, why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted? And he goes, hope. Hope in God. And this, this one word for hope is wait for. Wait for God. Sometimes that is the best thing that we can do. When we don't understand what's going on in our life, our best answer is to just be quiet and wait for God to do something. And that is important sometimes. Sometimes all we can do is wait. Because everything we try to do blows up in our face. Many years ago, I had, I had something going on in my life and I, and I was fighting God tooth and nail over it. I wanted to do things my way and everything was, everything went wrong. 
Yeah, I would make a plan to do something and it would just, everything would go wrong. Not just one or two things, because I'd already planned for one or two things to go wrong. All of it would go wrong. My entire plan would just blow up. And I finally just said, God, I give up. I'm going to let you need to take care of this. And I just basically said, I'm going to wait for God to answer this because I'm not going to keep trying anymore. And God comes along and he deals with it. And this is what David is saying. I will wait in the Lord. I will praise him for the salvation of his presence is what it really comes out to be. His help is salvation. His countenance is his presence. He says, I will praise. I will wait for you, O Lord. I will praise him for his salvation in his presence. God is wanting to rescue us. He wants to keep us. He wants to be our fortress. He wants to be our deliverance. And all we need to do is wait for him sometimes. And say, God, I'm just going to stand here and just wait for you to do whatever it is you want to do. I think it's just the opposite with me sometimes thinking he's been waiting for me to do something. And Sometimes that's the case. We look at... It took me this long to really focus on him. I mean... Well, in if we know what God is telling us to do and we don't act, then yes, He's waiting for He is waiting for us to act. We look at somebody like Abraham. Abraham was told to leave the Ur of the Chaldees and leave his family behind and he brought his he brought his nephew and he brought his dad and his, and he went as far as Haran and he stopped and as far as we know God did not talk to him for the entire 20 years that he was stuck where he wasn't supposed to be and God and if you're sit there and you don't do what God tells you to do he will wait for you to do what you're last told to do other times, though, there's times when we really don't know what God wants us to do. And sometimes he really wants us to just to stop and listen and find out what it is he's doing. But I think what it's so me, I didn't know any of this stuff really like on listening to God. Sure, I, you know, growing up, I you know, believed it, but I never really focused like, okay, what, like, did my own thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And it took this long, I would say, since I turned after 50, I hate to say, all these years, and I just can't believe that he actually waited for, he he waited for me to, like, the other way around, what David's doing now, but it's just the opposite, you know, but I'm so thankful that he did. And in David's case, he knew what God wanted him to do and wasn't doing it, so he needed to, he needed to just stop. Other times it is that we need to step out. And sometimes if we don't know what God is asking us to do, sometimes we just step out and do something and say, God, I, you know, I want, I'm going to do this. Now the key to this all is where are we spiritually and what do we know and what don't we know? Because if I know what God wants me to do and I'm not doing it, God is going to wait for me to do what I know I'm supposed to be doing. On the other side, if I don't know what I'm supposed to do, Sometimes it's just a matter of getting out and doing something for him. 
and then he will say, no, then, he can, then we're in a position to be listening to him and have him direct us. Uh, many of the speakers I've listened to talk about this, you know, and, and I've done it my own, in my own life. I've done things for God and said, okay, God, I'm going to do this, and if it's not, not for you, let me know. And, and some things I found out weren't for me. Now, I would step out to do something, and it just wasn't the right thing for me to do. It just, nothing was right. Then there's been other places where I've gone out and done things, like in teaching, and it's just been blessed, and God has, God has honored it. So there is a kind of a mix between the two. When I know what I'm, if I was not teaching, God would be waiting for me to do what I know that I'm supposed to do. But I know that I'm supposed to teach. Uh, otherwise, it would be he would be sitting there saying, "Okay, when are, when are you going to start doing what you're what what I told you to do?" And it's important for us to get there. David is saying. I am going to wait for God. I want to, I am going to hope in him. I'm going to wait for God to, to work in my life. Because when we're fighting against God and fighting against things, it is sometimes tough. If I, and this is where we get to like where we talk, where I talked about this morning. I am to crucify my flesh. If I don't crucify my flesh, I'm going to want to do what I want to do. And God will be out there, kind of like you said, waiting for me to, turn my life over to him. And it is amazing the patience of God. As, as you've said, people, there are people who have gone 50 years without turning their life, and then they turn their life over to God, and God uses whatever is left of their life to really go forward. Other people respond at an early age, and, and God uses them then. But God is patient. He waited for Abraham to finally get up and, and say, okay, I'm going to go to the, go to Canaan like I was told to. And he waited for him. God is, God is so patient. It's amazing how patient he is. And we need to learn that patience with others because how often do we expect people, you know, sometimes we expect people to respond immediately. That's my problem. Yeah. Well, how come you haven't learned this? I learned it. Well, forget no. the fact that it took me 30 years to learn it, but you're supposed to learn it. You're supposed to learn it the first time you hear it, you know, and it doesn't work that way. Mine did, uh, no, it's the other thing. That's, I mean, nothing to do with it. doing things, physical things, but that's how I'm impatient, you know. I've learned to, you know, especially living by yourself. I want it done or I'll do it myself, you know. So I do, you know. But, but, but I think, like you always say, like I really don't know and I don't have, I kind of have the feeling like, what does God want me to do? I think that what I'm doing is, because a lot of times when you said today in the um, church about you speak, and you know you're not speaking God to you, and then I finally, I don't know how many times, he really is working in me, because I didn't know if he was really working in me. It was a waste of time on me, I mean, I mean, but it really does, you know, and I think what I think mine is that my shock is that I'm not no Andalus. I don't preach, preach, but I have the word of God in my shop all over. And then I always ask, and people, they, they see things, oh, I see you're Christian. I said, yes, I am. I said, are you a Christian? They said, yeah. So then we start talking. But all these years I had my shop, the, since I moved to my house, I never talked that way. But since I moved to my house, that's all I do when I talk and have Christian music on and, you know, and I would say you're right. You're right on it when you're saying that because it is impressive that you know on a Sunday morning if you you bring the people in your shop and 
say, I'm going to church, and yeah. a lot of times they'll come well, to church she, with you. So, I, I mean, thought it's, these people were going to come to find a little late, and and I think that you that your shop is your ministry right now I mean can you be more po you know possibly but I mean right now I know that you're using your shop as a ministry and, it, and it's touching people and people are being that's why I did it. grab another one of those dinky breads because whenever I really feel like it, for some reason, I'll give them a dinky mm -hmm. bread because I had some other stuff that I gave them, you know. Yep. Oh, and, but I think that's what my calling is. So I said, that's good because I like my shop. I had it for over 20 years, but it's the last since I moved to my house. It's totally changed over, and I feel so much better. I think, yeah. you know, and the people are much nicer or whatever. Okay. Verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember you from the land of, the, of Jordan and of the Hermonites and of the hill of Mizar. David finally now is turning this prayer, all of a sudden is turning to God. And he's saying, God, you know, hey, my soul is cast down. Before he was trying to do it in his flesh. He was trying to turn himself around. Now he's turning to God and saying... God, my soul is cast down. I'm going to remember you from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and the Mizar. Now this is, he's talking about, this area that he's talking about is in the northern part of Israel and or Syria, depending on what particular time period you look at. But Mount Hermon is one of those really tall mountains in that area. And Mizar, they don't really don't know what Mizar is, but they, but by the talk of it, it is some small little hill in that same area. So he's saying, from the big hill to the little hill, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to remember you, God. I'm going to remember what you have done for me. And isn't that what sometimes we need to do? We just stop and say, God, what is it that you have done in the past? This is why one of my favorite hymns is Count Your Blessings, because oh, if you start looking at what God has done, it's going to surprise you. And all of a sudden you're going, oh, wow. And before you know it, you're no longer miserable. You're looking at what God has done and leading into what he will do. Because you start saying, okay, God, you have done all these great things. You're going to do, you're, you're going to do them again. And it's not positive thinking as much as really turning our focus on God. We can do the same thing on the on negative. We can concentrate on all the bad that's going on and make ourselves miserable. But God is saying, look at what I've done. It's important for us at times maybe even to write down what God has done in our life so that when, we're, when we get into those you know, really hard places where nothing seems to be going right, we can look back and say, oh, yes, this is, God did this on such and such day, and he did this on such and such day. Hopefully we don't have to go to such extremes. But if we really see, think that everything's going wrong, then it may be a time for us to be able to look back and say, God has done great things in my life. The healings that he's done for you, the, the, the change in your, in your circumstances, the financial blessings, the, the getting the government off your back, if, you know, whatever it might be, God blesses us and we need to keep those in mind. 
because it is easy when things to go start seeming to go bad to forget and say, well, God, you know, woe is me, nothing, nothing good is going on in my life. And those are those times when we, we need to remember. Just when you said that, I need to do that when you count your blessings. That song, I always do too much because that was my mom. We, my mom, that's really loved my mom. And we always, even growing up when I was little, we always sang that song. Mm-hmm. It just reminds me of that. My mom, it was 2007 when she died here. Yeah. She would play the guitar and sing it all the time. Verse 7, deep calls into deep, the noise of your water spouts, or all your waves, all your billows are gone over me. Now this is, David is getting into, getting back into a depressed mode. The deep, the deep calls to deep. He's talking about waters that are hidden, hidden deep. Uh, and so the deep is calling to the deep. It also refers to the oceans as a lot of times. The noise of your water spouts. And he's literally talking about the pipes of the water and the, and, the, and the spouts. But then he goes further. Your waves and your billows have gone over me. You know, people, you know, I've looked into this, and most people are thinking that he's in a, in a place where there's a, a flood going on, and he's describing the flood, the floods of water. But he's also taking it beyond that, just the picture of it. But literally, he's feeling like he is just being flooded over with problems and issues. And again, he's just left the palace. He's running from his son, Absalom. He has no comforts of home. No, you know, doesn't know where his food's coming from. Doesn't, you know, keeping the guard out for, for the, the enemy, you know, the army coming after him. Nothing seems to be going good for him. And he's, and he's just feeling the waves of sorrow coming over him. And one of the things we see about David, David seems to have lots of problems. He, his highs are very high as he writes about things, but his low times are very low. He is not even keeled in any shape, shape or form. He's either way up on the mountaintop or he is way down in the valley. And I've met people like that. You know, they're, they're, they're hard to be around because they're either over overjoyed <laughs> Or and everything's good and everything is perfect, or they are nothing is good and nothing is bad. And and we see this in David's Psalms is that he seems to be of that type of personality. His highs are very high and his lows are very low. And here he is talking about it. I'm just being swept over by all this flood of all these problems. I just gotta say something to change something. The more I think about it, I think the reason why I just that I'm this way when certain things like counting the blessings of my mom. I think because she told me that you guys were Christians and your kids, because I remember that she would sing to us, and I'm thinking back now, I do remember a lot of songs she sang to us, and so I do remember it, like I said, I didn't remember, but now it brought back good memories that I would sit down and she would be playing her guitar and those kids, there's five of us. And we would be singing, you know, and Jesus loves me. That's why we sing that on the lot, you know. So I do think now, I thought there was something wrong with me, but I do now, you know, I think maybe block it. Yeah. But it brings good memories. Right. And there's lots of things that we want to be able to remember from the past that are positive. How has God done things in our life? What, what landmarks do I have that says this is what God has done? And it's pretty important for us to get these, these 
markers in our life that says, here is where I know God has done something. Because there are going to be times when our flesh is going to be telling us, you know, you know what, what is this God? Who is this God you're trusting? You know, what's going right in your life? And, you know, what's he doing for you? And, what, you know, and we need to be able to look back and say, here's where he did something good. Here's where he did something good. When I first, my daughter's test, because I'm terrible at tests. I do remember, I do remember now praying, praying, God, please let me pass my daughter's test. Try me test. And so I brought my sister's new Camaro back in 78 or something, and I passed it. And I know if I didn't pray, I wouldn't yeah. pass that test. So I'm thinking back, yes, okay, it just takes me a little while to think back. Yeah. But it's really important for us to be able to do those kind of things and look, look at what God has done. Because Satan, Satan is out to, to, to attack us. Our flesh is out to attack us. The world's out to attack us. And when, when tests come our way, sometimes we forget that God is still out there and, and still loves us. Especially if the tests seem to overwhelm us, as David is showing here. Verse 8 says, Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. And this is interesting. The Lord will command his loving kindness, his mercy, his grace in the daytime. You know, while we're thinking about it, God will give us grace. He will give us his mercy. But at nighttime, his song will be with me. Have you, have you ever been to a place where a song just ministers in a great way? You know, like we talk about, you know, count your blessings. You know. I love to just hear, God, hear some song and just, this is the idea that God is going to sing to us. You know, it goes to the idea of the minstrel or the, or the serenade of your sweetheart at the, at the, at the window, you know, that is always pictured in the old time, you know, the guy sings to, sings to the girl out on the, you know, in her bedroom and, you know, but it's that picture that somebody loves you enough that they're going to, you know, give a song. Uh-huh. Yep. And so he's the idea that God's got his loving kindness when we're awake and at night he just wants to sing to us. And songs are usually soothing. Many people will go to sleep with to, to music, you know, depending on whether that would bother them or not. But I used to always go to sleep with the music I on. Yeah, and just that soothing yeah. music of God. <laughs> What are you laughing That's about? That's what wakes me up in the morning. <laughs> the dog turns around and whacks me one. Get up. <laughs> and we have the radio come on in the morning instead of an alarm. But it doesn't wake me up. My alarm has to wake me up. The radio wakes her up. And then it says, my prayer unto the God of my life. This is really kind of a special thing. God is our life. He really is when you think about it. He is the one that gives us life. He is the one that gives us joy. He is the one that gives us peace. And without him, most people do not have peace. They do not have joy. They may appear to have some, but without God, there really isn't any peace. There really isn't any joy. They may have times when it is and that's why 
you know, you look at weather like today, and I, you know, and I, and I love weather. I love seeing the difference in well, weather. Like yeah. But a lot of times when people are, do not have God, they look out there and see the miserableness, and, and it's gloomy and yeah. gray, and they're gloomy and gray. Uh, but God is saying, I am, and David is saying, I, that he is the God of my life. Does God rule our life is the question that comes up from this. Is he really the God of my life, or is he just God? And I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. That is he just something out there, or is he really part of who I am and what I do? And that becomes critical for us to look at. Verse 9, And I will say unto God, my rock, why have you forgotten me, or actually forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? So David's back to being miserable here. He's going, God, you know, you know you're my rock, God, but you've forgotten me. You, you have forgotten. You have, you have literally ceased to care is what he's saying. God, uh, you're the God of my life, but you have ceased to care for me. This really goes to show David's depth of his depression is he's coming to the point where God, you know, you don't even care what's happening to me anymore. And I'm, I'm just bummed out. And... Why go I in mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? Again, so he's going, he's being oppressed. And he's going, why am I going into mourning because of these? So he's asking some interesting questions. Why am I letting others control me is what he's saying. And have you ever been in a situation where it seems like somebody has controlled you from the very beginning? They've, they've done things that, you know, you're really bad if you knew they were going to try to control you and they still did it. And you know they still said the right things to make you mad or upset or depressed or family members are good at that kind of stuff. They know exactly what to do and how to do it to make you respond. I found out I use the word no not. I would never say no to my family. Now I say no. No is a good word to learn. Especially our family. So the oppression, the, the, the people that were distressing him. Verse 10, as with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is your God? Now sword here really isn't a very good word. It is really a shattering of the bones. He says, as with a shattering of bones. Yeah, it's, it's, a better, it's a better word for it. Sword, I don't know where the King James came up with sword because the Hebrew word is shatter. You know, it says, as the shattering of my bones. Take a sword and shatter. It could be. And that could be where they came up with it. Yeah, and you usually stab rather than, yeah. or cut rather than shatter. Yeah. A hammer you know, shatter. Oh, it says crushing. Well, crushing crushing or shattering yeah, would be. As, a, as with a sword crushing my bones. Okay. My so, as is, he's really, you know, picture this shattered bones. I've only had one broken, two broken bones in my entire life, but neither one of them were really shattered other than this knuckle. But, <laughs> uh, but you think about the shattered bones. They need to be pieced back together and put back together, and there's extreme pain and a long healing process involved. And he says, as the shattered bones my is my enemy's approach, the accusations, the... the the taunting, reproaching, the taunt. And 
and, they, and it says, what do they say in daily? Where is your God? And he's probably saying it to himself because he's on the run. Where are you, God? It, this is something that, you know, we look at Job. Job had his friends basically saying, you know, where's your God? You know, you're... That, I like that. That testimony of Job. <laughs> I always say Job for some reason. Well, because it looks like Job. Yeah, <laughs> I always say Job. In my opinion. No, Job. Okay. They yeah. <laughs> but Job's friends basically were saying, you know, to him, you should be saying, where, where is your God? You know, because you, you're obviously so much of a sinner that he's left you. This is something that we can hear sometimes, many times, sometimes from friend, uh, family or friends, you know, especially if they're not saved and things are going wrong. Well, where is your God that you're always talking about? You know, why, why are you getting all this stuff going, going wrong with you? And... Or you're a Christian, you shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other side of things, you know. You know basically, that is a where is your God? You, yeah. If you, you really believed in him, you wouldn't be doing those kind of things. And it's important for us to really grab hold of the fact that God is there. Even when we don't seem to feel him, his, his mercy is still there. It's new every day. He's, he's given us newness in life every time we turn around. And then David goes again, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope you in God, for I shall praise yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. And this is wonderful, the health. The idea that God is our welfare, our salvation. He wants to give us wellness. He wants to give us strength. He wants to give us just a welfare of, of what's good out there. And all we have to do is turn to him. And this is what, in the, remember in the first book, that was David's constant refrain. Run into the Lord. He is your fortress. He is your strength. He is your protector. Many times God lets things come to us to say, are you going to run into me and hide? Or are you going to be like this book here, complaining the whole time about all the bad things that are happening to you. And we have a choice. When something bad happens to us, we have that choice. God, where are you? What are you doing? Or, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to run into you and let you protect me. Very, very quick and easy choice that we have in front of us. All right. Any comments or questions? We're going to go into Psalm 43 because it's a really short one, and I'm going to, I think we can finish it. It's a nice short one. Psalm 43, verse 1. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? O send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me into your holy hill and to your tabernacles. Then will I go to the altar of God and to the God of my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise you, O God, my God. Why aren't you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall be yet praise him, who is the hope of my countenance and my God. That verse is um, very familiar, since how we just read it at the end of the last chapter. It's a refrain used again. So we start with David is going, 
Restore, judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. We need to be able to say, John, judge me and plead my case. Because he's the only one that can. Why can we plead, plead our case? Because Jesus, we are covered with Jesus' blood. Our sin is covered. And he will plead for us. He, he is willing to judge us. Why? Because he judged us perfect because of Jesus' sacrifice. And it says, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. We need that deliverance when somebody's trying to trick us, cheat us, be, be cruel. And this is, again, this whole idea of I'm, I'm going to depend on God. And this is really important for us to get. Is my dependence on God or am I trying to fix my own problems? If I'm trying to fix my own problems, they probably are going to get worse. At least that's been my experience over, over my lifetime. The more I try to fix problems, the more I try to, especially you know, problems between individuals, the more I try to fix them, usually the worse they get, especially if they're mad at me. You, know, you really don't want to talk to somebody who's mad at you because usually they're going to, whatever you say is going to be taken wrong even if you say it right. And all of a sudden there's this attack. And God, David is saying, deliver me from them, God. It's your job to do it. And this is where our strength comes in. We bow down to God. We allow him to deliver us. We allow him to be the one to fix problems. And it really works to just back off and let God be our defense. He wants to defend for us. He wants to be our strong tower. He wants to be our protector. All we have to do is say, God, here you go, God. Here's my problem. You deal with it. You know, deal with this person because I can't deal with them. Take care, take care of this issue, and God will take care of it. My experience over years and years and years of watching God work is that he works. And that he does what he does, or does protect. He says, for you are, my, or you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? And this is one of those things. God is his strength. And David's, David's not in a good place again here. You know, he's got enemies again. Because why are you rejecting me? Why are you casting me off? And he's not remembering the past. He's not remembering God's blessings. He's not remembering what God has done. And he's going, why do I mourn because of the oppression of my enemies? So some of this, he's asking the right question. Why am I doing all these stuff? You know, why am I, why am I mourning? Why am I upset? Because God's out there. God is his strength. He's trying to remember God is his protector. God is his strength. Then in verse 3, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto the holy hill and to your tabernacle. Okay? And this is the idea. God, you're sending out light. Light is both physical light, which shines and, and, and illuminates, but it is also instruction. It's correction. It is, you know, God uses light very often to talk about the word of God. Send out your word. Send out your illumination to life and your truth. Okay? His truth, his firmness, his faithfulness. David is really begging God, shine your light on me. You know, 
in, in Psalm 119, it says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed according to your word, O Lord? Your lamp is a light, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Okay? His word, God's instruction, his training is a light to us in dark places. And his truth gives us something to hold on to. I always talk about it. Worldview, God's truth is so important. Am I going to live according to the way he says to live? Or am I going to listen to what the world is bombarding me with Satan's lies? Too often we listen to Satan's lies and get wrapped up in it. But God is saying, my truth. Live my truth. And he wants us to get into his word so that our worldview will be changed. And uh, you talked about it, how things start coming to, have started coming together late on. You know, and that is better than ever in this case, but God's truth, he, he starts bringing in his worldview on us. I'm very fortunate. I got saved at an early age, and I got deep into God's word, and my worldview was formed very much according to God's, God's viewpoint. That doesn't mean I have a perfect worldview by any stretch of the imagination. There's still places where God says, uh, you're kind of off on this area, you know, get it corrected. You know, you need to get this area corrected. We will always have these places where God's going to say, you've let, you've let the, Satan's worldview in on your life on this one. Uh, and you know, we're being bombarded. Even to this day, we get bombarded by messages. You know, what's the world being told right now? That sex outside of marriage is okay, and it's all even expected. You know, watch anything on TV, any movie, and you're bound to see you know, people hooking up and, and not being married. And... And nobody rejecting it in our in our population in the United States. It, you know, I can't remember how much, but a large percentage of the homes now are two people living together who aren't married. Or a guy that would only go for a girl that's attached. Yeah. There's guys like that that will only They're go for a woman that are all, for committing adultery. Yeah, yeah. And the world keeps telling, trying to tell us that all of this is okay. God has very strong viewpoints. And we need to be able to grab hold of that. We need his light. We need his truth to help us live correctly. I think what is so cool is that it seems like I, I wasn't perfect at all. I'm never, ever growing up. But now I'm trying to walk in God's footsteps and it's amazing and how many things he has been doing for me every single day. And I think things are telling me like how you can think. He knew everything he did before he did. I said, oh my God, I can't believe that. You know, back then I never thought of it that way. And yeah. I think like, oh, he still never gave up. He knew everything that I did. God never gives up. He keeps coming after us. Keeps coming after us. And if other people will realize that no matter what they did, you'll be amazed what you missed. That's the power of his grace that he loves us so much that he's there in spite of everything we do. And then as you say, we start beginning to understand who it is and then we start looking back and saying, man, what could have happened if I had just listened to God and done what he wanted me to do back then? Because so many people look and say, well, God just doesn't want me to have fun. That's why he's keeping me from doing all the stuff that I want to do. But in reality, he's saying, I want to keep you from great heartache that sin leads to. Same thing when we talk to our kids and we're going, no, you can't do that because we know where 
the activity leads to. The kids just look at us and say, no, you just don't want me to have fun. You want to take all the fun out of life. And we're going, no, we want to keep you from but you, the you pain. It's so, so neat because I've been praying. I pray. That's one thing. I do pray a lot. For, I've been for years. Is I've been praying for Denise and the family. And I, I thank you so much because that's one person, for some reason, I knew the kids that they were little, to have her change. And I'm so thankful that she has changed. Yes. She really, I think, really means it. She does. She really, really. And so I'm, I'm so blessed that she is. And I told God, thank you. I, I know it's not for my prayer, but... No, your prayer was very much part of it, I'm yeah. sure. And I still pray. For not just you. There's lots of people oh, yeah, that have yeah, been yeah, praying yeah. for her, but it's... I know praying for her, but I'm just saying um, other people would you know. Right. And uh, she definitely has changed, and she will be an example to, to her, her family. To her family, yeah. Because of Hopefully her change. They will follow so. her footsteps. It won't take them as long as her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm sure they will. There will be change. There will yeah. be change as they see it. Yeah. So David says, you know, I want send out your, your truth, your, 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 your light, your doctrine. Let them lead me or guide me. Okay? His word will be our guide. It says, let them bring me to your holy hill. This refers to Mount Zion, the, the Temple Mount as it's known today, and to your tabernacles, his, where God lives. David said, your word will guide me to where you are. And this is why I want people to fall in love with God's word. This is why I want people to read God's word because his word will lead people to where he is. It will lead them to life. Because God says his word will do that. His word will protect us. His word will change us. It says, then when I'm led to these places, then I will go to the altar of God. Unto God my exceeding joy... Yea, upon the harp I will praise thee, O God, my God. Once I start following into God's t where God lives, I'm going to go to his altar. Now, in David's case, he literally meant the altar at the temple where the sacrifices would be made. But God, at the same time, has an altar for us to come to and sacrifice to him who we are. He, want, he wants us to sacrifice our life to him so that we can be living sacrifices that will walk with him. And then it says, unto my God, my exceeding joy. And this is kind of an interesting word because in the Hebrew it says, unto my God, unto God, my joy rejoicing. <laughs> it's repeated twice, my joy rejoicing. So, and they translated exceeding joy because it's joy, joy, basically. So, God, you know, we... Is God my exceeding? Do I really rejoice in God? And is that where I'm all, my, all my expectation goes to? And he's, he's so much my joy that he is my exceeding joy. I, you know, just an overabundance of joy. And you know what? He gives us the joy to give to him. And it's not even something I generate myself. He gives me the joy and then I turn around and give it back to him. Because he is the is my joy and my rejoicing. Without God, I don't know that people can truly have joy. They can have happiness, and happiness is fleeting. And joy is so much deeper than happiness. Happiness is, I'm happy that certain things happen to me. Or I'm sad because certain things happen to me. You can be sad and still have some joyfulness in your heart. Because joy is really deep down. It comes from God. And 
I have seen people in Christian worlds, especially when somebody dies who's a Christian, you're, there's a very strange emotion when a Christian dies. You're going to miss them, so you're sad. But you're happy. That but you're very happy that they've gone home. Yeah. You know, it's a very, when a Christian dies, it's a very strange emotion to go through because there's joy and yet sadness, but you're sad more for yourself that you're going to miss them. Yeah. Like my mom, like I'm happy she's gone, but I'm sad because I can't show her the things that I find. I used to bring up to her, but I'm so happy she's up there because she's not in no more pain. Right. And yep. she's looking down at us. Yep. In verse 5, this is a repeat of verse 11 of Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Wait on God for I will yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. God is our health. He's the one that gives us our welfare. He's the one that gives us joy. And it's really an important thing for us to understand and consider that God is, God wants to do more for us than we really want him, want to give him credit for. You know, God is just waiting for us to, to want his help, to ask for his help. I was listening to a message today. Do we truly, really want God to bless and, and, and give us things? You know, are we willing to ask him for things? And God is out there. He wants to give us great rewards. He wants to give us blessings. You know, it isn't just, he, he has promised to give us our needs. But you know, he's like any other parent. He wants to give good gifts to us. Now, how do we want to use those? I mean, if we pray and we want to use those gifts upon ourselves, God will say, no, thank you. You don't get it. You're not going to be a spoiled brat. But if it's something that we can use to lift up his name and, and, and lift him up before others, then God will say, sure, I'll give you that. Because he wants his name to be exalted amongst people. He wants to be shown to be trustworthy and honest. Here's my, I want you to read this is what he did for my mom. that. Very good. <laughs> I like that. Safely home. Yeah. All right, let's close in prayer. And Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word and for your love and your care. We ask you to go with us today and bless, bless our week. Give us opportunities to share with others about you. And we just thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.